12th chapter of the book of Romans. Last time we, we looked at verse 4 and 5, beginning the thoughts of the body of Christ. And remember in chapter 12 is where the, the Scripture turns from the work of the grace of God and begins to address how that the grace of God in our hearts affects our lives in this world as a church. So in 4 and 5, he, he shows us that God is putting His church together both locally as the local bodies and communities as well as uh, corporately and the whole body as a whole. But God is building a church as He sees fit and according to His will. You know, if you've got, you got plans for a bridge, you're wanting it to be able to carry this much, they'll engineer and they'll draw and they'll calculate and they'll give you the plans. This is how that it needs to be built. This is a material that needs to go into it. This is how that, that you put it all together in order to get that strength and function out of that structure. And if, if you don't go by the plans, then you're not going to get the result that the plans would give. Well, God's got a plan for the church and He's putting it together as His eternal wisdom and as His mind sees fit for it to be put together. Now, does anybody know more than God? So there's nobody that can argue with how that God works. So God is putting the body together. And just as our bodies are many individual members that make up the whole, that's the way the church is as well. And God has put in the church those that He saved as He saw fit to put them in. He's gave grace and strength. He's made some. And so before we get ahead of ourselves, let's, let's read. So in, in verse number 6 is where we'll pick up. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith, or ministry, let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity, he that ruleth with diligence, he that sheweth mercy with cheerfulness. So the quick way that you could say those three verses together is use the gift that God has given to you. I think we could all think of that parable of the talents where the, the good man of the house, he's going away and he delivers unto his servants talents severally according to their ability. That's what he says. And so God gives to one five, to another three, to another one. And maybe it's two. I, I can't remember the exact numbers. But the man that gets one talent, he does no labor with it. He spends no time on it. He takes that talent that's a gift of the good man of the house and it belongs to him. It's not that man's to bury, to hide. But God has given that gift unto that man and he's wrapped it in a napkin and he's buried it and he's made no effort to improve or to work upon the gift that God given him. Now, we, we know how that parable goes. The good man of the house was not pleased with that servant. He delivered him a talent. He should have labored and worked and been diligent with the gift that was given to him. But there was no diligence 
There was no work. There was no improvement done upon the gift. So here he says, having been gifts, and that, that word means divine gratuity, a spiritual endowment, or a religious qualification. So having then a, a divine gratuity that we didn't deserve it, we didn't work for it, we didn't work it out. It, it's not that we went to college and got a doctorate degree and earned that through hard work and study and, and all of these things, but, but God saved our souls, brought us into the family, and He's given us grace. That word grace there, it's the same through the New Testament. The divine influence upon the inward man and its reflection in the life not because of any works that we've done, but God saved us. He's given us grace and a gift. And may God help us to take what God has given us and to use that and make use of it as we live, move, and have our being in this world. If there's no improvement now upon what God's gave us, if we put no effort into what God has gifted us, then we're like the man that took the talent, wrapped it in a napkin, and, and buried it. And well, I, I was afraid that I was going to lose it. And I, I knew that you were a hard man and I didn't want to lose the money that you gave me, so I just put it up. He said, son, you could have at least took it down to the bank and got 5% interest out of it. But you didn't even have the gumption to take it to the bank and let somebody else work with it and make a little something. Now that'd be a shame, wouldn't it? So that picture here is used with the gifts that God has delivered differing according to the grace that is given, another word, freely, gratuity, that is given to us. So God's give us grace, let us take that grace and use that. Let's, let's look at a scripture or two that will go along with it. Ephesians chapter number 4, verse number 1. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. So worthy, appropriately. Walk appropriately according to the calling that God has given you. The, God's called us not into, uh, uh, not into rest in this life. We're, we're called into a work and into labor. Now spiritually, we rest in Jesus Christ for our salvation. That work is settled. It's finished. But you know, the, the work in this life, God calls His church to work, to labor, to seek His face, and to do our part in the body of Christ that the body would function as it ought to. And we, we use the analogy that if I have a, a stroke, if, if I have a health condition, if I, if I break my neck and sever my spinal cord and it loses connection to the brain and it doesn't function as it's intended to function, the whole body suffers as a result of that loss. If I lost use of one arm, the ability of my body to, to do anything would be greatly hindered and hampered by the loss of that. But you know, whenever things working as it should and working together, 
the body's able to accomplish a great amount of labor and a great amount of work. And so the Lord says here, as God's called you, as God's invited you, as God has saved you and given you grace, I mean, the, the question I believe is this, have we been saved and have we been given grace? If God has influenced our heart and our mind, our thinking and our inward man, then without question, we've been given grace and called into a a vocation, into a work and into a labor. Paul says, let us walk worthy of the vocation wherewith we're called. God's called us into a work. Let's do that work. Let's labor as God calls in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So we know this, that it's not going to be in vain at the end of the way. Now think about this life and think about what is so vain. How much is done and how much effort is put into things that at the end of the day, the God's truth, at the end of the day, it is absolutely worthless to the man. That is, as death would come and and sweep in, all of the stuff of this world comes to an end and it's absolutely worthless to me. What I have treasured up, what I have to dwell in, the goods that I have there, all of the effort put in to get those things, at the end of the day, that is absolutely worthless to me. I mean, Solomon, best we can tell, one of the richest men to ever live on the face of the earth. And I believe a man that had everything that he ever thought of that he wanted. If he wanted it, if he thought of it, he got it. And when he's up in years and he's reflecting back on his life, Solomon says every bit of that is vanity and vexation of spirit. And so that's what this world is. But God says in Corinthians, you know your labor in the Lord's not in vain. That work that we do in service to the Lord, it's not worthless. But it's useful, not just in this world, but in the kingdom of God. Now think about Paul the Apostle. He is preaching and his teaching and his writings. And I realize Paul's dead and gone. And I don't, I don't buy into extra rewards in heaven based on my work if... If I'm going to heaven and I'm going to be a a co-heir with Jesus, and I am a co-heir with Jesus by the Word of God, then what am I going to do further that's going to improve on what I'm already inheriting in Jesus? I don't buy into that. But Paul's labor was not in vain. But look, years, years after Paul's dead and gone, here we are profiting in the kingdom of God from the work that He done. You know, we could help somebody else 
and they could help somebody else and that work could continue onward. But we know this, it's not going to be in vain. And I say this as well, the devil says you're not, you're not earning anything for that. You need to be earning. And if you're not earning, then it's not worth anything. Well, is there? Is there any work that can be done for a king that's going to pay any higher of a paycheck? That 1 Corinthians chapter 15, you know what he's talking about in that entire chapter? Is resurrection. You know, there's, there's coming a day, though, though Paul's going to have his head cut off and Peter's going to be crucified upside down and John's going to be exiled to live on an island by himself and, and to die there. Though these men are going to suffer these things, they've got hope of a resurrection and life after this life. And in that life, all of the trouble's going to be gone. And there's not going to be any labor to be done there. There's not going to be any sweat of the brow to be given. There's not going to be any pain to be suffered there's not going to be any uh, influence of the devil and of a, a wicked world, but there they're going to be free in a glorified body to honor God forevermore and never get tired and weary of doing that. Now, is, is there any more that a man can earn? Is there, is there anything more valuable than what God gives? Well, I've already got that. Well, my God, I say this. If we have got that, if God has gratuitously and graciously, without merit and without our works and without our earning, if He's gifted us that, then should I not feel like that I owe some work to Him? I tell you, that, that ought to... Stir up a love for Him that His kingdom would be first. That His will might be done. That I might be of service to Him in this life because of what He's done already for me. Because of the grace that's been given. I believe there's no work today because there's no grace been given. I, I believe that with... All my heart, I believe God, God takes the back seat so often because there's no work been done and he that loveth little has been forgiven of little. But he says here, having then gifts differing, well, I don't have a gift. Well, I, I don't believe that. At very minimum, he's filled us with his spirit and power and gave us not the carnal mind but we have the mind of Christ dwelling in us, in the Spirit of God. Now, could we not take that Spirit? Pray God lead us and guide us and direct us. God, reveal unto me your Scripture and help me to grow in your Word. Help me to be... But you know what? The, devil has, the devil's robbed prayer from our lives and he's robbed uh, the Word of God from our lives in such a fashion now 
that if I earn $100 today and do not fall on my face and pray to God and do not read a, a half of a chapter in the Word of God that I feel like it's still been a good day. Now do you reckon that that's what God says? Honest to God. No, that's, that's not the will of God. But see, that's, that's the thinking of the world and worldliness that's been implanted by the devil. But the Lord says, having then gifts given to us, whether prophesy, let us prophesy. Now one more time, let's say it. Given to us. Not paid as a debt to us. Not, well, I'm going to prophesy. Boy, I tell you, man, man wants to puff himself up first and foremost. And I'm going to prophesy. I'm going to speak under inspiration. I'm going to have the Spirit of God. I'm going to expound this Word. And I'm going to do it. I want you to know that I'm doing this because I've spent so much time in this Word. And because I've done such good works and I've been such a good fella and I've done so much praying, it's that. that that's the reason that I'm going to stand up and prophesy. I, that's corrupt thinking. That is, as he says in verse number 3, that is thinking more highly of yourself than you ought to think. That's glorying in the labor of my hands. The Lord Jesus says, when you've done everything that's been commanded you, when you've done it all now, if this week you can come to church Sunday morning and say, you know, this week, since Monday morning that I woke up, I've done absolutely everything that God's commanded me. You know what that qualifies me as? An unprofitable servant that's only done what's been asked of him. That's what the Word of God says. So what have I got to boast in? There's zero for me to boast in. This is given. I pray because I ought and I'm obligated and I owe it to God to pray. I pray because God as my master says pray. Ain't that the truth? Men ought always to pray and not faint. Should we not? As the Word of God says, study to show ourselves approved. Should we not seek the wisdom of God that He's revealed in His Word? So see, I'm, I'm not doing that to be better me. My God, we, we owe that to the Father. And so, these gifts are given. We ought to always remember that, that it's gratuity. Whether of prophecy... Let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. According to that that's been proportioned, that word there, it's a picture of allotment. That is, as we make up the wheel, as we're finishing our last wheel and testament, we're selecting and allotting our goods to those whom we see fit. Well, God the Father has allotted us a proportion of faith in this life. And as God gives us an allotment, you know what I ought to do with that? I ought to use that. I ought to, to give God the glory, speaking prophecy, speaking under inspiration. That God is, 
inspiring what I'm saying and what I'm doing. Not emotion inspiring. There's plenty of that. Not the flesh inspiring. Not religious inspiration. But that the Spirit of God is breathing and speaking through what I'm saying. So as God would allow us to prophesy, let us prophesy. And or ministry. Let us wait on our ministering. So wait on. Now that would imply, well, we just need to sit around and do nothing and wait on God to get us up. What if, what if we done that in Sunday school? Well, I, I don't feel moved today. Let's just go on with the service. That's not what the word means there. But it means to to be an attendant, to be a servant, to wait on. Like at a a restaurant, the waiter is going to wait on you. They're going to serve you. So if if you've been given the gift of ministry, if you've been given the gift of, of giving out the word of God, then let's be busy ministering and waiting and attending to the office that God has given us. So prophecy, ministering, he that teacheth on teaching, so instruction and guidance in the Word of God. God's given the gift of teaching. We ought to teach and use the gift that God has given us. Remembering this now, that this is given for the good and the edification of the body. My eyes see not for their glory, not for their honor, but it's a benefit to my body that my eyes see. The teachers teach and the ministers minister and the prophets prophesy. There's teaching and preaching and testimony, not that one member be exalted over everybody else, but that's there that the whole body could benefit from that work. You see that? So teaching on teaching, he that exhorteth on exhortation. So to exhort, to invite, to invoke, to implore, to be there to call and to help, to assist, to to call people to God, really. And so he that exhorteth on exhortation. He that giveth. So that that means exactly what you think. To give with simplicity. So that word means without hypocrisy. It means to sincerely give. We're going to see that word again in just a verse or two. So not with hypocrisy and not with, I want you to see how I give and what I do. But that that it may be done from the heart to the service and the glory of God. He that ruleth, that means to oversee, to overlook, with diligence. He that sheweth mercy with cheerfulness. So not begrudgingly showing mercy or being compassionate. Now, you think about the building of Solomon's temple. We've got outlined very wonderfully 
in the Scriptures. And you had men that were out in the woods cutting trees down. You had men that were in the mines digging up the, the precious stones and the gold. You had men that were carpenters that were putting together the frames. You had men that were masons that were cutting the stones and, and making them to fit. You had men that were assembling all this together. You had some that were uh, cunning and, and embroidered work that were making the curtains. You had all these different jobs, but they were all working to the same purpose to finish the temple that God had given direction to be built. And God gave if you want to look at the first place in the Bible that you're going to see the Spirit of God inspiring and giving ability, it's going to be in the wilderness. And there God's commanded Moses to build a tabernacle for him to dwell in. And the Spirit of God gives men the ability to put this together that He's commanded it to be. That's the way the church is. God Almighty has called a church to function and live and be the standard of truth in this world that from the church and its members the knowledge and understanding of the Word of God would go out to the whole world. And God's given men gifts in order that that work might be accomplished and be done. So use the gifts that God provides all to the glory of God. In 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse number 10. As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. So as God gives, we use. What good is a man that God's granted the ability to teach the Word of God if he never teaches? What good's a preacher that's been called and God has granted grace and wisdom to him to be able to proclaim the, the Word of God that never preaches? What good is a testifier that God inspires testimony that never testifies? And so God calls us, as He's given us a gift, we use that to the good and the edification of the body as a whole. Because we said last time, my body doesn't try to tear itself down. My body, one part of my body doesn't despise another part of my body. So the church is. The body seeks the good of all. And as God gives gifts, it is for the edification and glory of the body that God's name be exalted. So he says in verse 9, Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. So without dissimulation. That means the same as the previous verse. Without hypocrisy. Insincerity. Let love be without hypocrisy. Let love be sincere and from the heart. He says in Peter, that they, I believe it's in Peter, not with 
uh, not with word only, maybe it's in 1 John, but love in deed and in truth. That it not be a put on that I love the church. That it not be a put on that I enjoy the Word of God. That it not be a put on that I'm God's servant, but sincerely and in truth from the heart, there I am in service unto God. How much goes on, do you reckon, is an act? I, I believe that exactly. I believe that there's a pile that goes on that's said and that's done that is an act. That's what hypocrisy means. It's to be an actor under an assumed identity, under an assumed part. It's not real. You know, these people on TV, they play these characters and, and you, you like these characters, you, you get to know who they are. But you know, in real life, that person, that's not who they are. They are acting a part on a show that's not real. Well, if our love is with hypocrisy, if our love is dissembled, if it's not sincere, then we're actors playing a part. But the love of the body, the love of the church, ought to be for those that are born again. And he says in John chapter 12, John 12 verse number 6, This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and bare what was put therein. So we know what's happened here. This lady's broken this expensive box of ointment, washed Jesus' feet and anointed Him. And Judas says, why waste all that money? That could have been sold and we distributed that to the poor. Now, he's pretending like he wants to benefit the poor. But you know what Judas is? He's a thief. And he's carrying the money bag. He's the treasurer of the group. And he's thinking now in his mind and in his heart, he's thinking, you know, if we'd have sold that, that would have went into the treasury and I could have pocketed some of that money. But he's a hypocrite. He's acting here. God help us not to be an actor. But, you know, I, I believe in those that are saved. We'd like to be genuine. Let what I say be genuine. Let the way I act be genuine and let it not be with hypocrisy. What good is hypocrisy? See, you are and I am, if we're saved and in the body, we are accountable to one master, Almighty God. So if I put on an act for you, the master's not fooled. And so he says, let love be without dissimulation because God has shown you mercy. God has shown you love. Well, they don't treat me right all the time. Well, they don't do me right and they, they've shorted me and they've done me wrong. Well, you know, God, God answers that in His Word. I mean, have we ever done God wrong? We ever shorted God? We ever sinned, I mean sinned vilely against Him? 
Have we ever completely neglected to do what God wanted us to do? Has God ever been a hypocrite to us and said He loved us and jerked His hand back? No, I, no God, God loves without dissimulation. And if, if God loves me that way, then it's not, it's not unfair for Him as my master to say, look, I've, I've done this for you. I expect you to do it for everybody else. I've forgiven you of this, this large amount I expect you to forgive others of, I'm telling you, that, that parable that the Lord gave, a million dollars to a thousand dollars, there's no comparison there. But that, that doesn't even do justice. When you compare what God has forgiven us of compared to what somebody else has done to me. So God says, let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. Now you could apply this here to moral evil and sin and actions in the world and good be in service to God. And certainly that would not be untrue. Job was a man that eschewed evil. He fled from the face of evil. But I don't believe that's what this means here we're talking about love without dissimulation. In verse 10, be kindly affectioned one to another. So he wouldn't cram this in to the middle there and it'd be totally out of place. That word evil, it means hurtful or harmful. It's like, it's like the criminal that's out there that, that would like to mug you and, and rob you. They intend on hurting you. Whether it's taking your goods or hurting your health or taking your life. And so he says, abhor that which is evil. If it's that that's going to be hurtful to you, if it's that that's going to be harmful to you, your service to God, your life in this world, then we ought to abhor that that would hurt and injure and bring down the body. So he says in, I believe it's Philippians, that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God. Harmless there means unmixed. That's the meaning of the word, unmixed. And the picture there is this jug of water up here. It's unmixed. It's pure water. And there's no harm in that. But if you mix poison in there, and you mix something that's hurtful in there, then that jug of water that would be good for me has now become harmful. And so the church, the church that's born again and saved and indwelled by the Spirit of God, if we're following God in simplicity and without hypocrisy, seeking after the Word of God, following the leadership of the Spirit, then you know what my life will be to everybody around me? It'll be a help to them spiritually. To them that are saved, it'll encourage and strengthen them and draw them to the Lord. And to them that are lost, it'll be a light and an illumination to the truth. But if I mix that now, if I mix that with worldliness, I mix that with carnal desires and carnality, you see how, how it's mixing poison in with that that's good and becomes harmful to the lives of those round about. It's harmful 
for my children to see no dedication to God. It's harmful for my family to see that I, honest to God, I, I don't care about my service to the Lord. But he says, abhor that which is evil and cleave to that which is good. That word cleave, it literally means to glue, to adhere yourself to. What ought we to seek for? That that is to the good of the body, the benefit, the beauty, the, the profit of the body. So as, as I look at my brethren, I should not desire that anyone be hurt, harmed, or that evil would come upon anyone. I ought to abhor that. I ought to detest that to the depths of my soul that your faith in the Lord Jesus would be harmed by something that's in my life. Ain't that what Paul says? He's going to say and, and talk about it a little bit later. Also in the Corinthians, that all things are free to me, but if I do that that offends my brother, then, then I've done wrong. And so here... Abhor that which is evil, but cleave to, glue yourself to, adhere to that which is good. Let those good things... See, the world, the world can't do this. The world is inclined only to evil. And when you get down to it, even, even good, decent people, when it comes down to themselves or you, they always will cut you down for their own self. They'll always un undermine you for their own self. But you see, the church is a different race of people. We still have a flesh and carnal mind, but the church is indwelled by the grace of God. They've been given a gift of God, a, a new mind and a new life and new desires and a new thought. And so God says, as you are different... From your birth from above, you ought to live different. You ought to love different. And when the world sees you, do, do you believe that in the early days of the church, as people would run into these that are born again, I, I believe the Word of God teaches lives that are so different that it's noticeable. That people say there's, there's something different about these people. And I, I don't really know what it is, but there's something different about them. And the more time that they're around, the Holy Ghost and the life and the testimony manifests that it's the salvation of God that's different. But now ain't it something that today people that are saved and in the church can work around people for 30 years <coughs> and they never see anything different. They never see a life that's changed. They never see the grace of God. All they see is the flesh and the carnal mind. Those things ought not be. We ought to glue ourselves to that which is good. As we know that it's good, that ought to be what we stick with. We know the Word of God is good and true. We ought to stick with the Word of God. We know that we ought to pray. We ought to stick with prayer. We know what could be a help to you. 
we ought to try to be a help to you and abhor that which is evil. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love in honor, preferring one another. Kindly affectioned, cherishing kindred or the natural fondness for relatives. You know the way that is. You love mom and daddy and you love brother and sister in a way that you just don't love anybody else. There's that that natural bond and affection that's there because you're of the same family. My relationship with my brother is it's different than anybody else on the face of the earth. That's, That's my brother and there's that relationship and bond that's there. That's just natural. It's just born there. You're raised up. Well, that's what he's saying here, but he's applying it spiritually to the body of Christ. Those that are born again have got a relationship together in the unity of the Spirit of God that's not had anywhere else in the world. See, the the church is as much spiritually my family as my natural family is. And so does would it be right to despise your family? I say anybody brought up halfway decent and with any sense whatsoever, it'd be impossible to despise your family. Even though they didn't always do right. And even though it may have frustrated us that they didn't do right and that they don't do right. You can't despise them. That's your family. So that's the way the church is as well. The church are brothers and sisters born of one Father, of one Spirit, with one faith, and with one baptism. And the way that I love my natural brother in the flesh, that's the way spiritually we ought to love all of those that are born of God. Having that brotherly love, kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love, that's fraternal affection. You know how that's tied? That's tied to the Father. We've got the same Father. We're born of the same means. We've been given the same grace. We're all going to inherit the same inheritance. None of it's because of what we've done or said, but because the Father born us into the kingdom of God by His grace. And so John, in 1 John, he gets it beyond our ability to get out from under it. He that's born of God loves his brother. That's what he says. He that loveth not his brother abideth in darkness even until now. How can it be that somebody is truly regenerate and born again and does not love his brother? How can that be? You say you love God whom you've not seen and you hate your brother whom you've seen. How can that be? See, it's all all tied in the Scripture. And so God, as God saves, 
He puts in His church that Spirit. And that Spirit brings unity and a oneness of mind and of heart and of desire. And if there's anybody on the face of the earth that ought to love the church, it is the church, those that are born again, because we are indeed family. So in John 13, and and we're out of time. We'll pick up here next time we get to, to look. But in John 13, verse number 34, Jesus says these words, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I has loved you, that ye also love one another. But this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. So Jesus says a new commandment. Now is it a new commandment that we love? I mean, the very first commandments, those ten commandments, the whole latter portion of it is love for my neighbor. I mean, you can sum it all up and love God and and love your neighbor as yourself. So this is not a new commandment. We've been commanded to love. But Jesus says a new commandment I give. See, it's, it's becoming more intimate now. Now I'm not supposed to love because you're my neighbor and you're near to me, but I'm supposed to love because I've got the same Father that you've got. That we are born in the same family. It's a new relationship. And it's a new love. We'll stop there. Anything on your heart you'd like to say?